turn to two passages uh, this morning. The first one is in the New Testament, Matthew 6. I want you just to put um, a marker there. Matthew chapter number 6. Once you find that, just mark that. And then turn to an Old Testament passage in Ezekiel and chapter 11. Matthew chapter 6 and then Ezekiel and chapter number 11. Matthew chapter 6, we'll come to that in just a moment or two. Mark it. And then to Ezekiel 11 in the Old Testament. I'm going to ask you to, uh, out of respect for the Word of God, to stand with me. We'll read from Ezekiel 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. And then when I get to verse 14, I'm just going to pause and give you a chance to join me. And we'll read verse 16 aloud together in unison from our... King James Bible, Ezekiel 11. I'm beginning in verse number 13, and I want to give a little commentary as I go along, and then we'll read together verse 16. And it came to pass, verse 13, it came to pass when I prophesied that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. Ezekiel, like Many of the Old Testament prophets was not popular in his day. Jeremiah, others, had an unpopular message. And Ezekiel's message, Jeremiah's message, was one of a judgment coming upon God's people. God had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your family. And he said he promised a blessing, then he promised them they'd be dispersed all over the world. If they did not walk with him, if they rebelled against him, they'd be scattered all over the world. He then promised later they would be regathered. In 1948, uh, that came to pass in one day as the state of Israel was reborn after 1900 years of being dispersed. Miracle. Never before. Any nation, lose their, they didn't lose their national identity. You can you still buy things in shekels. Go to Israel, you can still buy things in shekels. The same money, 1,900 years scattered all over the world. They still have their national identity. They still have their language. They still have their money. That's not happened anywhere else in human history. That's God did that. And Nehemiah was there, excuse me, Ezekiel was there as they were going into captivity. And some of the leaders who didn't want to give up their place and didn't want to give up their power and realized that the judgment of God had come criticized men like Jeremiah, criticized Ezekiel, called them traitors. They scorned them. They mocked them because they preached a faithful message. God's judgment is coming. Take your punishment, Israel. One of these key men that was a scorner, that just scorned and criticized and stood in opposition against Ezekiel was a man named Pelatiah. Now, whether you noticed it or not, what you just read is Pelatiah is preaching a message Excuse me, Ezekiel is preaching a message in the presence of the people and Pelatiah is there who's criticizing him and he drops dead in the middle of the sermon. Same thing happened in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in the middle of church service. Well, that'll that'll sober a crowd in a hurry, won't it? Now we continue on, verse 13 again. It came to pass when I prophesied that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. Then fell I down upon my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Oh, Lord God, wilt thou make a full end of the remnant of Israel, what's left of our nation? Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred and all the house of Israel, holy are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord. Unto us is this land given in possession. Get out of here. This belongs to us now. Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God. This is the message to God's people. Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God. Although I have cast them far off among the heathen, 
And although I have scattered them among the countries. Read the last phrase with me. Yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. What a beautiful phrase. Even though they're under judgment. Even though my people are being scattered, taken from their homeland. Enemies have come in and said, Islam belongs to us now. Y'all get out of here. And even though some are dug in, denying the fact that they're under the judgment of God. Say, no, no, we can hold on to this. And Ezekiel says, no, sir. God's pronounced judgment. Take your chastisement and live. Don't fight against God further. One man drops dead who fights him on his message. He drops dead in the service and Nehemiah stops the service. He's on his face. God, are you going to kill us all? The few that's left that are being scattered abroad, you're going to, you're going to get rid of all of us? And God said, preach this message. Wherever you wind up, they were scattered because of their rebellion against God because they chased other gods. Spiritual adultery, the Bible calls it. They worshiped idols, turned their back on the one true God. He said, you tell them this, wherever they go, I will be a little sanctuary for them. There's a lot of hope in that phrase. I want to speak to you about a little sanctuary. Father, bless now the preaching of the Word of God to our hearts. Help us to see how wonderful, gracious, merciful you are, how you long to have a relationship with your children, with those whom you've created for fellowship with you. And Lord, no matter how far we've gone, how much we've rebelled, how off into the world we, have, we find us, how far off in the world we find ourselves, thank you, that our Savior, our God, can and will always be for us a little sanctuary in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Ezekiel's message to God's people was simply this. No matter where you are, no matter how far you've gone, no matter where you find yourself, you can have access to the throne room of God. Some years ago, a man stood, whose name I will not use because of we're live streaming. But a man stood in this pulpit, as he has on a number of occasions. We have for years, we have collected offerings and have Bibles published in other languages to be smuggled into countries where the Bible's outlawed. At least one of those countries to be caught distributing a Bible would mean execution on the spot. You don't have to go to trial. You can have your head lopped off on the spot. And so at jeopardy of their own lives, people are distributing the Word of God. In the capital of one of those cities, some years ago with Bibles that you helped to purchase, church family, these men were distributing scriptures. They will go to a city and they'll put on a disguise and they'll put in their clothing, they'll put several copies of the Word of God. And they'll go on a street corner. Ask a question like, have you ever seen a Bible? Um, here's the thing about it. Uh, many folks don't, you say they don't believe in the Bible. Many folks don't believe the Bible is that it exists. They're taught that it, it's, like, it's like a fairy tale. It doesn't really exist. They just, we just say it exists, but it doesn't actually exist. They've never seen one. Never looked at one, never touched one. Uh, they just believe what they've been taught. But as God's Spirit works among men, on occasion someone will say, yeah, I've heard about that. If you could see one, would you like to see one? Yeah, I'd like to see one. And from there, trying the best they can to judge the situation, and they will distribute a Bible. One here, one there. About 45 minutes of that, they'll get in the car. They'll drive to a distant city. They'll change their clothes, change their look and everything about it, do the same thing again. And then drive somewhere else. In the capital of a closed country, right under the nose of a vicious dictator, this dear brother who stood in this pulpit told his story, asked a man on the street, have you ever seen a Bible? The man stopped and looked at him. 
then grabbed him by both shoulders. At this point, our dear brother was very frightened. And he grabbed him. And he said, I saw you. I saw you. He said, I saw you last night. I saw you last night in my dream. And he said, you're supposed to, yours, and this dear man obviously is visibly shaken just because of the nature of what he's doing, how dangerous it is. And he said, no, no. He said, please don't be afraid. He said, I did. I saw you. I saw you in my dream. He said, you're supposed to come to my home and tell me how I can find the true God. You're to come. That conversation lasted just a little bit on that sidewalk and they set an appointment and gave him his address and he said, look, you'll come and they made an appointment. I think it was 6 o'clock. I think if I remember the story correctly, the details, but we'll say 6 o'clock. They set an appointment nonetheless that evening. And so two or three hours before that appointment, those men went and parked a block or so away from the house. They watched the entrance to see who was coming and going to make sure it wasn't an ambush. The man had given him their phone number, given him his address, and said, we'll be waiting. You come and tell us. We're looking for you to tell us about the true God. Right at the appointed time, they called and they said, look, I'm, uh, the, the, uh, the, the believers called and they said, told the man, said, I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to come. We had to change our plans. He says, no, no, no. He said, no, you have to come. You must come. We're ready to meet you. We want to know. Please, please trust us. We, we mean you no harm. Please come. He said, well, I'll tell you what. We'll try to, I think we might be there at 8.30. For another two and a half hours, they watched. Our dear brother at 8.30, approached the home. Now, in that country, they, it's not uncommon for families to live together. It'd be like a common courtyard in a larger building, which you might think of as sort of like an apartment building with, a, with maybe uh, similar to an apartment building with a courtyard in the middle, and families live in different parts of that. And uh, the courtyard would be sort of a common area for the family. And so he came to this home and opened the door. And when the door opened, there were 85 men gathered in that courtyard waiting for him. And fear just came over him. And as soon as he walked in, he said, could, I, could you please show me to a restroom? And so they invited him in, took him straight away to the restroom. He collapsed on the floor in the restroom, just sheer terror. This is a man, by the way, who's been repeatedly tortured for his faith, imprisoned for his faith, who's had many, many, many loved ones, uh, uh, folks he's won to Christ, martyred. He collapsed on the floor in just sheer terror. But that little bathroom became a sanctuary. And he cried out to God, you got to help me. you got to empower me. I can't face this. I don't know what these men will do to me. And laying on the bathroom floor, under the nose of a dictator, would snuff out his life just like that if he knew he was there. He called on the God of heaven who gave him the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up and walk in there with the scriptures. And for the next several hours... Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these men. And about midnight, all but a handful of that crowd of men went to a bathtub, professed their faith publicly in Jesus Christ, and were baptized in believers' baptism. God told his people, he said, you're under punishment. You're being chastised. Some of you will never return. Some of you will die out there. He said, but wherever you go, know this, that I will will always be to you a little sanctuary. Can I tell you something, my friend? The church, the New Testament church, is not a building. There are no holy places in Christianity. We make no pilgrimages to holy sites. 
Can I tell you something, my dear friend? Sunday is a special day. It's the first day of the week. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. The only Old Testament command of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated by the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament is this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The seventh day was a day of rest that started with creation. God is example and God set it apart of the Jewish law that the Sabbath day you weren't supposed to work and, and there were many, many rules. That, but that was given to the nation of Israel. They rejected God uh, out of hand, put Him on a cross. And in the New Testament, Jesus did not repeat that command. In the book of Colossians, He said all those special occasions and holy days and sacrifices and Sabbaths and so forth. There was, a, there was more than just a weekly Sabbath. There were other Sabbaths as well, days of rest. He said all of that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And Colossians tells us this, that the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Jesus Christ went to Calvary and He nailed all of those traditions and all of those uh, uh, things to the cross. It was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you something. Uh, uh, Every day is a holy day. Every day ought to be holy means set apart. Set apart to live for God. Amen? I think Sunday's a special day, and I think Sunday ought to be treated as a special day. I don't think you ought to play ball on Sunday. Oh, let me try that again. I don't think you ought to play ball on Sunday. Not because Sunday's a holy day, but Sunday's special. Sunday's a day that has been historical. How many remember blue laws in our nation? Yeah. When we respected the time that God's people gathered for worship, we know now Sunday's just like every other day of the week for much of the world. Commerce, fun, play, go up in the lake and whatever else we're going to do. And, you know, we put that church thing and stick it on the side somewhere. Let me tell you something. Sunday's a special day. It's not a holy day, but it's a special day, and it ought to be recognized as such. But my point is this, as Christians, we don't have certain days and certain places where we go and we become all reverent. It ought to be a life of reverence. It ought to be a life of holiness. That means anywhere that you sincerely come before God and bow your head in reverential respect with a need upon your heart and make an appeal to the God of heaven, that spot becomes a little sanctuary. Amen? Amen. A little sanctuary. How many of you sometimes pray in your car? That's a little sanctuary. Amen? How many of you got a little corner somewhere of the lunchroom or someplace, maybe even in the bathroom at work or someplace, but you get alone and it, it's, the noise is over here and you find your little spot somewhere off by yourself so maybe you can read a little Bible and talk to God a little bit. How many of you got such a place? Amen. That place is a sanctuary. I'm thinking of a boiler room. I'm thinking of a college bedside. I'm thinking about a forest preserve and a trail in the woods in the summer of 1995 as I begged God for wisdom to take me where he wanted me to go, not knowing that in just a few weeks I'd be go, go to Bailey's Grove Baptist Church in Ashburn, North Carolina. That was a sanctuary. I had the privilege of being at Dr. Tom Williams, one of my heroes, as you know, in his home numbers of times. And uh, in his office, off his office, is a prayer closet that he's made. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of missionary cards in the line of the walls of that little prayer closet and on poster boards. That you, and they files through them and names of many, 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 many pastors all in states all over the missionaries all over the world. A sanctuary. No matter where you are, you can have access to the throne room of God Almighty. Daniel. They said, Daniel... He's 90 years old, thereabouts. They said, Daniel, you pray to anybody but the king in the next 30 days and you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10. The Bible said, Daniel went and did what he always did. He, He kneeled down and opened his windows. He's claiming the promises that God gave to regather his people to Jerusalem. He's off in captivity. And he opened his windows up as if to say, God, I believe your promise. He wasn't hiding. He, didn't, he wasn't praying. He wasn't closet. He wasn't secret prayer. He opened his windows up. And they knew. They made that decree. Those that hated him wanted to, do, to depose him. He was the head of the princes. And the other princes wanted that top spot and they couldn't get rid of Daniel except they, they get rid of him on the matter of his, of his matters of conscience and matter of his, his, his walk with God. 
what did he do? He went by that little window to his little sanctuary and prayed as he always did day after day, three times a day. So they arrested him. The king realized that these men that hated Daniel, the king loved Daniel, and they realized he realized what these men had done, how they had deceived him, and how they had uh, connived to have uh, Daniel uh, uh, killed. And uh, he said, Daniel, I can't change the law. I don't want it to happen, but i got to do it. Daniel said, I understand. Keep the law. God's, he, i got a big God. He can take care of me if he wants to. They threw him in a, in, a, in a den of hungry lions. And every one of those lions got locked jaw. Can you see Daniel in the lion's den that night? The king couldn't sleep. He's up pacing around all night long, <laughs> worried about Daniel. Daniel's down there just talking to the Lord, probably backed up against the big lion's mane. Amen. King came over the next morning. Daniel, is your God able to deliver us? He said, Yes, sir. I'm doing fine. <laughs> Amen. The lion's den became a sanctuary. Jeremiah's detractors put him in a pit. An inner dungeon, if you would. It was wet and filled with mire, which is just muck. And the Bible said he sank down up to his armpits. He would have been suffocated, starved to death in that pit. A man from Ethiopia was part of the king's court and loved the man of God. Went to the king and said, look, can we not help him? Let, let me take some men. Let me help him. He got a group of men. They went down in the dungeon and they got some old rags. And they tied them together. And they dropped them down. And he said, uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah was just about, Jeremiah was on the brink of death. He said, Jeremiah, put your arms through this. Let us help you. And he pulled the man of God out. Amen. You, know what that, you know what that slime pit was? You know what that pit, that dungeon was to Jeremiah? It was a little sanctuary. It's a little sanctuary. Remember Paul and Silas in the New Testament? Their backs in ribbons. They said, you can't preach in his name. They said, we, got, we have to preach in his name. They said, we'll beat you. They said, you beat away, but we're going to preach Christ. They took them. They stripped them. They scourged their backs and their backs in ribbons. They, stood, they put them in prison. They chained them. Chained them up. It's midnight. You know, Silas, we have an awfully good God. We really do, Paul. Sure is a blessing to be saved, isn't it? Yes, it is. I feel like singing. Me too. Amazing. I don't know if it was written yet, but amazing. They're singing. And the Bible said all the prisoners heard them. And that dungeon became a little sanctuary. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. And it became a sanctuary. Elijah on the top of the mountain praying for rain. God said, put his face between his knees. And that spot became a sanctuary. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. My dear friend, wherever you are with the Lord, the devil wants his best to cut you off from communication with your God. It wants to tell you you've gone too far. You're under the judgment of God. God doesn't want to hear from you because you've displeased Him and you've sinned. And God's done with you. And i got news for you. The devil's a liar. Amen? The devil's a liar. God's people were under the judgment of God, being scattered. They're losing their homeland. And God said, wherever you go, know this. I'll always be there for you, a little sanctuary in your life. Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6. And the Bible says in verse number 1, Take heed that you do not do not your alms before men to be seen of them. <clears throat> Otherwise, you have your reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, alms is a type of giving. In the Bible, there's the tithes, and then there's the free will offerings, and then there's the alms. The tithe is the tenth that belongs to the Lord, and that goes back before the law and even into the New Testament. And then, uh, and then there's the free will offerings that were gathered for special projects and so forth like that. And uh, that's above and beyond the tithe. And then there's alms. And that's where you take care of the needs that you see. You don't make a big deal out of it. Somebody's got a need and the Lord touches your heart and you go quietly and discreetly and maybe even anonymously and give a gift. But you don't make a big deal out of it. He says of that of alms, therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. In other words, some people give so they can before a show. 
Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy hand, thy left hand, know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and that thy father which sitteth in secret, and thy father which sitteth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Hail Mary, Mother of God, da 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 da. Hail Mary, the Mother of God, da 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 da. Hail Mary, Mother of God, da 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 da. Somebody say amen. amen. When you pray, use not vain repetition, as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask of Him. And then we have what's often called the Lord's Prayer, which is really a pattern for prayer. It's all right if you pray this prayer. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. But he just spoke about vain repetition. Some people take this as just vain repetition. We all say this together. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you take these words into your heart and give them to the Lord sincerely from your heart, certainly that would be a, a worthy prayer. But just to repeat it, you know, to get somebody out of purgatory, which doesn't exist anyway, or because everybody else in the room is doing it. I'm... Verse 9, here it is, the pattern for prayer. After this manner, pray, uh, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, he's mentioned alms. He talked about prayer. Now he talks about fasting. That's refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that they that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Amen. Look at the Lord Jesus talks about right here in verse number 6. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Amen. You know what a prayer closet is? A little sanctuary. Amen. A little place where we meet with God. It could be a, it could be a, 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 a trail out in the woods. It could be a bench by a pond or a stream. It could be your sunroom on the back porch. It could be you kneeling by your couch or by your bed. It could be you in your car driving to work. Any place that a child of God comes and meets with his God becomes a holy place set apart for fellowship with he and his God. Now, let's think of something about this little sanctuary. This little place of prayer. Number one, Jesus said this. It is not for show. It is not for show. One of our men came out of Buddhism. And he's trying to witness to his Buddhist, his, uh, those of his nationality especially, and they come and they bring their food and they put it in front of a God in a public place. And, and uh, I think lots of incense maybe or something. But, but they put the food down there so they can feed the false God. And, uh, and he would tell them, say, they, 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 nobody's going to eat that food. The, only, the flies alone was going to eat that food. Watch it. Come back here tomorrow and next day it's going to be covered with flies. You're not talking to anybody. There's a, a dead God. There's no, he can't hear. He can't see. Jesus Christ is the living God. <laughs> and trying to win his people to Christ. They do that publicly. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. Look at verse. Uh, uh, look at verse number four. That thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret. Verse number six. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which is seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Same thing again mentioned twice. Verse number eighteen. Six times in this passage we find the word secret. 
What is Jesus trying to teach his people? He said, look, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, when you find a little sanctuary somewhere, maybe in your car, sitting in a car, maybe by your bedside, wherever you stop and get alone and, 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 and sort of leave the world in your mind and, and just close everything off and shut the door, so to speak, and, and just commune with God, that, that little place of, of fellowship is a, is a little sanctuary. He said, this place is not for show. It's not for show. It's not a performance. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer prayer is not for public consumption. That doesn't mean you can't pray in public. We pray here in public. We have prayers here. We may come up in prayer. Let me tell you something. Uh, but, but, But prayer, closet prayer, that little sanctuary where you get alone with God every day throughout the day, whenever you have a need... You think about Him and you bow your head wherever you are. You might be in a crowd, but you can be alone in a crowd when you whisper a prayer to God. A little sanctuary. That's not for show. It's not for the public eye and the ear. My wife has a book on her shelf. The title of it is, I Love You, Ronnie. The Letters of Ronald Reagan to Nancy Reagan. Ronald Reagan was, of course, our 40th President was inaugurated January the 20th, 1981, and left office eight years later, January 20th, 89. His last major public appearance was in April of 27th, 1994, at Richard Nixon's funeral service. In August of 94, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he had had symptoms for at least a year, maybe two years before that was officially diagnosed in August of 1994. He died in June of 2004. The last 18 years of his life, he was not in the public eye. The book, I Love You, Ronnie, the letters of Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan are just personal letters that he wrote to his wife. In the flyleaf of the book, this is what it says. No matter what else was going on in his life or where he was, traveling to make movies for GE in the California governor's office at the White House or on Air Force One, and sometimes even from across the room, Ronald Reagan wrote letters to Nancy Reagan to express his love, thoughts, and feelings and to stay in touch. Through letters and reflections, the characters, personalities, and private lives of a president and his first lady are revealed. He didn't write those so we could read them. But long after he had finished his public service, and just before he would go off into eternity, the letters were published. And I haven't read the whole book, but I read a little bits of it. Very precious. You know what my little sanctuary is with my God? It's like my love letters to the Lord. Amen. Now, you sometimes, you, you'll say, I, I recognize my wife, honking from the pulpit, of course, and I love her, thankful for her. But I ain't going to tell you all the things I say when you're not listening. Amen. And you see, that's what that sanctuary is. That sanctuary is where you go, just you and your Heavenly Father. And you tell Him how much you love Him. How grateful you are that he saved your soul. You don't have time to go to hell. You have eternal life in heaven. Gave you breath to breathe. Strength to get up this morning. You tell him your needs, your desires, your wants, your wishes. Just a little sanctuary. Just you and him. Now it is Jesus and me for each tomorrow. For every heartache and every sorrow. I know that I can depend upon my newfound friend. And so to the end, it's just Jesus and me. Now, you might get to read the letters after I die, but you ain't going to read them before that. I have some books I cherish. One of my dear mentors, Dr. Ray Young, wrote about my pastor, Brother Hiles, Dr. Jack Hiles. Three men, my dad was my pastor. Dr. Bob Settle, I was saved under his preaching. 1970 is my pastor, and Dr. Howes was my pastor for seven years. 
about 12, 13 years after he died, Dr. Howes had given Dr. Ray Young permission to do so, to have his correspondence when he died. This is the first of three volumes, and there's two more that are expected to come. Letters to Dr. John Rice, Lester Orloff, Bob Jones Sr., Lee Robertson, R.G. Lee, Tom Malone, Joe Boyd, Mrs. Billy Sunday, Mall Sunday, they called her, Bill Rice II, Pat Zondervan, Myron Cedar Home, John Rawlings, Percy Ray, uh, Charles Fuller, J. Harold Smith, Vance Havner, G.B. Vick, on and on and on and on, great men of the faith. I've gleaned much from these writings. These are personal letters that the man of God wrote to other men of God, his friends. Can I tell you what that closet is? It's a place where you share your heart with the King of kings and Lord of lords. How's your love life with Jesus? Are you close to him? He said, we talk about prayer. So, like, yeah, I'm really struggling with my prayer life. Like it's a duty or something. Our lives get busy sometimes, as yours do. And we can miss each other as husband and wife. But it's never, oh, man, i got to go spend time with my wife. Ah, It's a joy. You understand that? It's a joy. My dear friend, listen, if your prayer life has just become just a duty to you, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I feel sorry for you. You say, well, I don't get to spend as much time as I'd like to. Yeah, I, I, I can accept that. Oh, man, i gotta get, I got to pray. i gotta, I got to make sure I pray. I, I, I'm all for character and duty, but let me tell you something. What a privilege it is to go in a closet, ride down the road, step inside of a bathroom, just put... Uh, Susanna Wesley, 19 children. Her husband, the circuit riding preacher, Susanna Wesley. She had 19 kids running around the house. Can you imagine this? She'd take her face and she'd put it in her, in, her, in, in, in her apron and put it up over her head. And she'd spend an hour in prayer. The house wasn't standing when she got done, but she'd prayed. Amen. She had fellowship with the Lord. Number one, it's, it's not for show. Number two, it's a natural expectation. It's a natural expectation. We find in verse number 2, therefore when, not if you give alms, when. It's an expectation. We find in verse number 5, when thou prayest. Not if you pray, when, of course. You're a child of God, of course you're going to talk to your Heavenly Father. We find it again in verse number 6, when. We find it again in verse number 16, when. In verse 17, when. This, this passage, he talks about these areas of prayer and fasting and giving of alms. These are expectations. Of course you're going to do that. It's natural. It's as natural as a baby crying for its mother's food, for its mother's comfort. It's a natural expectation. Nobody says, what's wrong with your child? What do you mean? It's crying. What's wrong with it? Nobody says that about a baby. We expect the baby to cry. Is that right? Yes, because the, brother, the, the baby needs his mother, right? And it's just as natural for you and I to cry out to our Heavenly Father when we have a need. Some of you think, well, God doesn't want to hear from me. And this and that's a dirty lie the devil told you. God told his people, I'm sending you, you're under judgment, you're under chastisement, I'm scattering you around the world, I'm dispersing you because of your rebellion against me. But when you get out there, just bow your head in prayer, I'll be a little sanctuary to you. To the Christian, prayer ought to be, to the Christian, what breathing is to you and I. Prayer is our oxygen. Got to breathe again. <laughs> Are you kidding? Prayer is as natural and necessary as breathing. These my girls at the house—they got one. Of these, somebody gave it to them, or I don't know where they got. They need a big old huge cup, and it's got a straw in it about like that big. Sometimes you get those big milkshakes, you know. They got the big fat straws. Now I can, you can you can breathe through that thing. You get your regular size straw. You get you one of the little coffee stirs, you know. <laughs> a lot of Christians are trying to exist in their Christian life. 
open thy mouth. Amen? Prayer is like breathing to a Christian. It's where we find our strength. I read the story of an old preacher. A young man came to him. He was a man greatly used of God, a powerful preacher of the Word of God. And the young man came to him. He said, man of God, he said, I'd like to have the power you have when you preach. People's hearts are moved and people respond. And he said, I'd like to have that power. He said, well, young man, that comes by earnest prayer. He said, oh, I know, I pray. I'm praying for him. They were at a campground. He said, son, do you really want the power of God? He said, yes, I want the power of God. He said, come with me. They walked down to a pond, a lake there, to the water's edge. He said, son, get on your knees. He said, yes, sir. He said, bow your head. He bowed his head. The man of God abruptly grabbed the young man by his neck and stuck his head down under the water. The young man started kicking, kicking, kicking. Presently, he jerked his head back up. (laughs) What did you do that for? He said, young man, when you want God's power as much as you want oxygen, you'll find it. You know, we say we want God's help. Indeed, we don't even ask Him for help. We say we want God involved in our lives and then we don't spend time with Him. We have time for everything else, it seems. Closet prayer, this sanctuary is not for show. Number two, it's natural expectation. Number three, look at it, what He says. Verse number one. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise... You have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Father. Twice in verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 14, verse number 18, ten times in this passage. You see, here are these men, watch me. Here's these men. And they come with their with their 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 alms. Brother Hamilton, I understand that you and your family are short on groceries. God put it on my heart today to give you a gift card for $100 to the food line. God bless you, sir. And you're hoping everybody go, wow, look at that. Pastor gave him food money. And God in this passage has said, you didn't do that for me. You did that for yourself. Same thing prayer. They, they, these men would, these Pharisees would go down the street praying out loud. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, da, 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 da. God said, you're not doing that for me. That's for you, buckaroo. That's in the Greek. Number three, it's a family privilege. It's a family privilege. Prayer is about the personal expressions of love, affection, adoration, submission, respect, appeals, request, shared joys and sorrows from the child of God to his heavenly Father. You know why we can go straight to the heavenly Father? We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a man. Because... 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Lamb of God, shed His blood on the cross of Calvary. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Therefore, because of that precious blood, come boldly before the throne of God, that ye may find grace to help in time of need. We are invited to come boldly. When Jesus was on the cross 2,000 years ago, on the hill called Calvary, hung on that cross, He cried out His last words, It is finished! And the Bible said when he cried out those words, listen, when he cried out those words, the veil in the temple, 15 feet wide, 40 feet tall, thick thick veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Nobody could go in there except the high priest once a year, and that's on the Day of Atonement. And he had to be clean when he went there or God would kill him. Nobody could touch that Ark because it represented the place where God met with His people. The mercy seat, the top of that golden Ark was where the blood of the innocent animal was put and God's holy presence would come down the Shekinah glory of God would come and say I accept this substitutionary 
blood. This represents the blood of my son. And I accept it for what it symbolizes. And the people would be atoned. Their sin atoned uh, for a year. But when Jesus cried, it is finished. The veil from the top to the bottom in the temple was torn in two. Not from the bottom to top. Wasn't torn my man. It was torn from the top to the bottom. God the Father said, Now because the Lamb's been slain. Now because the blood's been uh, supplied. Now because I've accepted the blood sacrifice of my own son. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. Find grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. I went to Manila Airport years ago. Visited some mission work down there. And they had told me, they said, there'll be a man that meets you when you get off the airplane. He'll take you, see you through the airport. I had gone through Narita, Japan. There was a tall man, white-headed man. And, and I, he spoke English, so I approached him. And he was a Seventh-day Adventist missionary. And, uh, and, and he said, uh, you, you, where are you good? I said, I'm going to Manila. He said, that's where I'm going. We're following the same flight. He said, uh, you, have you ever been uh, to Manila? I said, no, that's my, this is my first time to go to the Philippines. He said, oh, I've been all over the world. He said, Manila's the worst airport in the world. He said, man, they, they, they'll go through all your stuff. He said, you're going to be in there a while, just letting you know. I said, oh, okay. I didn't know any different. I got off the airplane in Manila, and a man strapped with a gun strapped to his side, met me, and I got off the plane. I said, you Mr. Shook? I said, yes, sir. He said, follow me. You know what you do in a foreign country with a man strapped with a gun on his side? He said, follow me. You follow him. And uh, <clears throat> I didn't know. He was a member of the church I was going to preach. He was the head of airport security. Amen. So I just followed him. Got, got to the place to check all this stuff, check your bags, the lines everywhere. He said, just follow me. So I walked with him. I walked past all these people. I'm just looking. I said, I'm with him. I'm with him. I look back over my shoulder. There's this tall, white-headed, seventh-headed man. Got, got his bags open and going through all this stuff, his underpants, everything else coming out, you know. I said, Amen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, with His shed blood, made a way into the throne room of God Almighty. And I can come in Jesus' name anywhere I am and I have a need. I can make a little sanctuary, grab onto the sun's coattails, and say, in the name of Jesus, I have an audience with the King of Kings. Come boldly before His throne. A little sanctuary. Last thing He said, look at it. In our text in chapter 6 and verse number 11. This pattern for prayer. The Lord Jesus said this. Give us this day our daily bread. Number 4. Cause of prayer is not for show. It's a natural expectation. It's a family privilege. And lastly it's a daily necessity. A daily necessity. You know why some of you struggle? Look. You do good when you're here. You don't drink a lick when you're at church. Not a lick. But you're going to struggle the rest of the week. Some of you. You know what you need to do? You need to daily go before the throne of God. Those of you that are struggling with, some of you in this room, no doubt struggling with dope. You don't need God to help you overcome dope for the next seven days. You need God to help you overcome it today. Then you need to get up tomorrow morning and get on your face and make your little sanctuary and say, God... This thing's got a hold of me and I don't know how to get rid of it and I need your help. And you're more powerful than any substance. Come, please deliver me. Help me today. Help me to honor you and, and realize my body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. And fill me with your spirit and give me victory. Some of you are struggling with your eyes and your thought life and, and there's so much garbage and flesh and nastiness and all this world trying to drag us off into debauchery. It's all over the screens. It's all over the billboards. It's all over the magazine covers. But every day you can say, God, help me keep my mind clean. Help me keep my mind pure. Help me to stay sanctified and holy. Not once a week, but once a day. Every day, throughout the day. Daily, 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 give us our bread. Suppose you said this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm tired of taking, I got a busy week ahead of me. And I, I'm tired of, I'm tired of having to, I got to stop, eat breakfast, stop, eat lunch, stop, eat supper. And it takes too much time. I'm just going to start Monday, Monday morning at breakfast time. I'm going to eat for the whole week. I'm just going to eat for the whole week. I'm going to have six, seven breakfasts, seven lunches, and seven suppers. First of all, you'll have a miserable Monday. 
Suppose Brother Hamilton said, you know, I take so much time, but I hate brush, brush my teeth, lost. I'm just going Monday, I'm going to brush for the whole week. Wow. Give me some Colgate, give me some Crest, give me some mouthwash. I'm brushing. Listen, come on, come on by Tuesday when we have staff meeting Tuesday. I don't want to be across the table from him. You remember youth, we, had a, we had a youth trip, one of our teenage boys. He's an adult man now. We always have, we go on a trip and say, okay, kid, get your Bible out. Hey, man, where's your Bible? He said, I'm good. He said, I did all my Bible reading for the whole week. I don't need to read my Bible this week. <laughs> That's where a lot of Christians are. Look, I'm not trying to be unkind to you. Some of you are barely hanging on. You need more than one meal on Sunday morning. Amen, Pastor. The Lord said, give us this day our daily bread. A little sanctuary. I love this place. I love this building. My, You know this already. But my shoes are buried in the concrete right under there. I took them off when we poured the, poured the concrete for this building. And I said, I think God wants me to stay here till he comes back, till he takes me to heaven. And uh, I think you filmed it. And I, I took my shoes off. Nice pair of floor shine, leather floor shine shoes right there. But I took them just to, just to illustrate that I want to be, stay here by God's grace. I, I love this place. I, I, I like this building. But this building has nothing to do with the presence of God. God's not here in this building. If a hurricane came today or a fire and this building was not here tomorrow, we could still stand on this spot or across the street or five miles from here or anywhere else and bow our heads and have a little sanctuary. That's what you need every day throughout your day. Go to your little sanctuary. Would you bow your heads, please? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed.